That's right. His love, his love never fails. He never changes. He's working all things for the good. That is a promise. Man, I hope that song just haunts you this week in a good way. And it's a great song. You know, I, I haven't even talked to Kevin all week long, and I was away. And uh, just the way the Holy Spirit puts things together, it's, it's just really a comfort to me. Because we're going to be talking about God's will for the next three weeks, actually. And, and the way that God orchestrated even the songs that Kevin would have selected for this morning is an encouragement to me. So glad that you're with us. We are going to be doing a series for the next three weeks titled Hit the Road. And this is a study on the will of God. You know, just to recap this last week, we had our middle school extreme hit the road this past week. And uh, I've, taken, I've taken kids all over, high school kids, all over the world, different countries all over the world, all over the United States, but I do not have enough courage as pastor, I don't have the courage Pastor Eric Segul has and his team of leaders to get 60 middle school kids, amen, 60 middle school kids, load them up in vans, go out to Johnstown and uh, change that community. And more importantly, change the hearts of middle school kids and the leaders that were on that trip. So we give God the glory and the praise for bringing them back safely. Again, they are, Eric is a courageous pastor, and uh, he had a great team of courageous men and women and took a a group of courageous middle schoolers out there and uh, just give glory to God for that. Also, as we open, let's open up in a word of prayer. We'll pray pray for our, our men's ministry has a motorcycle group heading down the shore this morning, and I know for, uh, moms and dads and husbands and wives maybe that are, are wives that sent men on their, on their trip down there. You're always nervous until they return. So, Father, we give you glory. We thank you, God, that you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your grace, Lord, abounds. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the work that you did in Middle School Extreme. Thank you for the work you did in the Johnstown area. And Lord, most of all, we thank you for the work you did in the hearts of middle schoolers. Father, I pray that you would continue that work even here this morning and in the days, weeks, months, years ahead, God, that it would be a foundational truth, Lord, built upon for them. Father, watch over our men that are traveling this morning in the men's ministry. Bless their time of fellowship. Bless their experience in your creation. Bless them as they fellowship with with Coastal Christian down in Ocean City. And... um, Bring them home safely, we pray. And Lord, in this week following the 4th of July, Independence Day, we give you thanks for our freedom. Lord, we do not want to take for granted what it cost. Lord, we remember men and women that are serving this country around the world today, Lord, defending the Constitution that we could meet freely here. Father, I pray for chaplains this morning that are delivering messages in maybe they're on a ship or a submarine or an air base or a fort, or maybe they're, they're out on patrol somewhere, Lord, with a group of men and women. I pray that you would bless them as they bring forth the gospel and that you would encourage them that we're thinking about them this morning. And Lord, bring your word to life this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to begin this series and we'll finish it uh, in four weeks from now. So there's, we're going to do two, two weeks in a row, and then Ebo Elder will be here. He'll do a Wednesday night and um, a Sunday morning, and then we'll finish this series the first Sunday in August. So I hope you'll stay with us through that. Um, this week on the lawn, Wednesday night, 
we're gifted to have Dave Dravecki here. Um, an amazing story. I'm not even going to tell you the story. If you, if you, if you know of, of him, you know it's an amazing story. If you don't know of him, you're saying, who's he? Come out and hear one amazing story. Bring a friend, and, and uh, it, it'll make a difference in your life, a friend's life. We look forward to having you back here Sunday or Wednesday with us out on the lawn. You know, as I, I said, the middle schoolers hit the road here this past week. There's something about the month of July for me that wants me to hit the road. I think it was my upbringing. Um, I was, uh, my birthday is in July. It was yesterday, as a matter of fact. Thank you very much. And um, when I, as I was growing up, if you, when I was three, four, five years old, if you asked me when was my birthday, I, here would be my answer. I would say my birthday is in Texas. Now, I grew up in, right outside of Philadelphia, but I would say my birthday is in Texas. Now, the reason that was is my mom and da- dad met during World War II. My, my mom was a Texan. And when my dad asked my grandfather my mom's hand in marriage, he said yes. He said, but you have to bring her home to see her mama at least once a year. So my dad worked for a company in Trenton that would shut down. The plant would shut down the month of July. That's when he had to take his vacation. And every year... We would travel out to Texas uh, during the month of July, and that's why I would say my birthday is in Texas. But that started this history, this pattern in me of, of just loving to be out on the road, and I was blessed by it because we would go to Texas for, we'd drive out there, camp along the way, spend a week in Texas, and then a lot of times my aunts and uncles and cousins would join us in a caravan, and we would go all up throughout the Rocky Mountain states. And I had the privilege of seeing a lot of that country as a kid growing up, camping. And then we would take a week and come home. And that was my summer to hit the road. Well, there was a time uh, coming along when I was 22 years old. I took the ultimate road trip for me. And it was a trip from, from Philadelphia to San Diego, to Point Loma, the very end point in San Diego. It was a change of duty stations for me when I was in the Navy. And uh, put a, an image of it here up on the screen for you, showing the path that Google Maps will tell you to take. Now, Google Maps will say that that is a 2,760-mile trip. Uh, when I was done, I had traveled 8,000 miles. Um, Google Maps will tell you that you can do it in 39 hours. That's, that's averaging like 60, almost 70 miles an hour. You know, in other words, but even if you broke it down into... Four days, four 10-hour days, right? That's a long, long time. I took 30 days. Now, the Google Maps, the, the most direct route, will take you through um, 10 states. I traveled through 19 states. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, Steve, you really stink as a navigator. Like, you really need to figure out where you're going. Well, I didn't, know, I didn't know exactly where I was going. I just knew where I began, and I knew where I wanted to end. And then kind of the rest of the course, it just played out. And it was, to this day, one of the, one of the great trips I've ever taken. And it, to this day, is a metaphor for, in my life, and hopefully you'll see it as we play this out, that it was a metaphor for the Christian life. I've been listening to Tim Keller a lot lately, the preacher up at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, and... If you know him, you know that he's a big fan of uh, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series. And he describes, the, he describes those series as this. He says, the Hobbit is the prequel to the Lord of the Rings, is a 
children's book, really. It's, it's an adventure. Whereas the Lord of the Rings is a quest. Now, what's the difference? And he goes on to explain it. He says, an adventure, you know, you, you start at one place, you go on this great adventure, and you come back to that place, and you experience it along the way, but you come back home, you're kind of, you know, it changes you a little bit, but you, it's this, you know, this exciting time, and you return to where you came. He says a quest is different, and Lord of the Rings is a quest, and the Christian life is a quest. He goes, because when you step out into the Christian life, you don't know where you're going to end up entirely. And I'm going to prove that out to you through the life of Abraham before the day's over. And you may never return to where you started. And if you do return to where you started, you're certainly going to be different when you return. And that's a quest. And that's the Christian life. And over the next three weeks, we'll, we'll look at what this means in seeking God's will. We'll, we're going to unfold the map here this morning. How does that play out in our lives? Next week, we'll look at detours and delays along the way. Some things that we cause ourselves and some things that supernaturally happen along the way that God is sovereignly in control of. We'll look at that. But it definitely alters our course. That's why a 2,700-mile trip could become an 8,000-mile trip. And I'll tell you some of those stories. And then finally, what does it mean to reach our destination? We'll cover that on August 2nd after Ebo visits with us. We need to have some common vocabulary as we go through this series, as we talk about God's will. So let me present to you three terms dealing with God's will. Stay with me. This, is, you know, this might be a semester's worth of theology. We'll do it in five minutes. But don't get, don't get all worked up about it. Just listen, take some notes maybe, and then let it play out over the next couple weeks as we look at this. The first term we need to have in common is we need to understand God's sovereign will, also known as his hidden will or his ultimate will. This is God's secret and divine plan of everything that happens in the universe. And listen, the Bible's clear on this. It proves itself out. Theology is very set on this. God's sovereign will is never frustrated by any event. In other words, it's always going to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Now, that can be startling to you. That if, you're, if you're on the outside looking at the, life, the Christian life and you're, you're pondering it and you're thinking, well, I don't know if I want to serve a God like that, let that song that Kevin led us in this morning echo in your mind. He works all things together for good. His love never changes. He's consistent. See, if you, if you serve a God who is always merciful, always gracious, is always slow to anger, is always righteous, then these things can play out well and we can rest well knowing that even when it's cloudy in front of us or it's chaotic in front of us, we can say, God, I trust that you're going to work this out for good, that you are working all things for good. Lord, my life is in your hands. If that's a problem for you, maybe your God's too small. Maybe your God's too small. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, you'll get a bigger view of who God is. The next term that we need to look at is, is his revealed will. This is also called, also known as his moral will or his perceptive will. Perceptive meaning his precepts that he has spelled out clearly for us in the Bible. This is God's spiritual law. It's given to us through the Bible. It's unchanging. It's relevant. It's living and active, as Hebrews tells us in chapter 4. 
It's not outdated. It's not something that, you know, was written 2,000 years ago but doesn't pertain to the social things that we're going through today. No. No, it's steadfast. It's timeless. And it's applicable to all of life. And God is saying, listen, if you follow these things, if you live in obedience to these things, in general, it will produce blessing in your life. It will give you the abundant life and the joyful life that Christ talks about in John chapter 10. However, God has given us personally, this is very important, a free will to choose the decisions that we make. In other words, I can choose whether or not I'm going to follow his moral will, his perceptive will. But even in my choosing, even in those decisions that I make there, I will never thwart, I'll never frustrate his sovereign will. Now that's a great comfort to me. I can bring, because of, because of disobedience, I can bring suffering and consequences on my life Personally, that's why God's giving me my moral will to say, listen, here's an operating manual for life to have it joyful and abundant. If you choose to operate outside of it, there's going to be consequences. You're going to bring those consequences upon yourself. But even in doing so, I'll never frustrate God's ultimate sovereign will. And then lastly, and this is the, this is the most difficult, this is the one just listen and let's let it play out over the next couple of weeks, is God's permissive will, or some would call this his perfect will. And this is confusing to us. This is, the writers of Proverbs would call this an enigma. An enigma is just a word for a, a complicated knot. You ever see a really cool knot? You know, I was, I was a, I'm a sailor, right, but I'm not much of a knot guy. I know like three basic knots. But I see guys on sailboats, they, they can tie these amazing knots, and I look at them and I go, I'm going to learn that knot. So you've got a line coming in, a line going out, and you start to analyze it, and you're trying to follow which, how it goes and where it loops, and, where, and, and pretty soon your mind's like, ah, I lost track. I can't understand it. Well, that's an enigma. It's difficult to understand. And, and God's permissive will and the way it interacts with his sovereign will is this complicated knot, if you will. Sometimes it appears contradictory to us. See, this is where God allows for the violation of his revealed or uh, perceptive will in order to carry out his ultimate will. You're probably thinking, huh? Here's the ultimate example. This is the ultimate example of this. This will help you understand, at least in concept. The ultimate example is in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We know, and it's clear, I can take you right to the reference, Exodus chapter 23, verse 7. God's moral will states that you shall not kill, do not kill innocent life. We know that to be God's moral will. And yet, he willed the murder of his son. That's complicated. But a foundational truth of the Bible, one that we have to rest on, is that God does not sin, he never commits sin, and he does not sin even in willing sin to be. So even in willing, his his permissive will allowed sin, the sacrifice, the murder of his innocent son, the only innocent man that's ever lived, it allowed that, but in doing so, he did not sin because it was accomplishing his sovereign will. And again, bear with me on that. Let's let it play out as we look at at Scripture. 
So this morning, we're going to end up in Hebrews and look at a verse concerning Abraham. But as we get there, you can either follow along with these references that are on the screen. I'll I'll read the references out to you for the tape. And uh, most of them I'll put right up on the screen for you. Some of them I'll just add in and I'll mention as we go along. But let's follow along and kind of set the context for this. Let's look at God's sovereign will to begin with. Starting out in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. King Nebuchadnezzar, after being confronted through prophecy by Daniel and understanding who God was and who, what God was accomplishing in his life as a king of Babylon, he says this, But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And listen, no one can ward off his hand. This is, the, this is one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. Or say to him, what have you done? Because his, God is sovereign. God is going to accomplish what he, what he sets out to do. This idea of sovereignty is it's consistent. It rings throughout Scripture from the most ancient of texts. One of the most ancient texts we have is the book of Job. You know that story roughly. Job, a righteous man, his life completely turned upside down in, cata- in catastrophe and, and in loss. And Job actually responds fairly well to it to begin If you know the story, his friends even that come to help him, they respond fairly well in the beginning. They come, you know, God doesn't, Job doesn't blame God at all. His friends come, they mourn with him. They just, they they do really well as long as they keep their mouth shut. (laughs) Then they start to talk. And then they start to lead Job down a bad doctrinal path. And then Job starts to question. Now he's all worked up and he's confronting God with some questions. And then finally in Job, the later parts of the book of Job, God confronts Job and says, Job, where were you? He starts out, where were you, Job? And he gives this beautiful description of the creation story. It's one of the most beautiful accounts of creation that you'll ever read. Where were you, Job, when I created the earth? And in great detail, he lays it out. And after this firm, loving, but very firm rebuke, Job is put back in his place. And in Job chapter 42, verse 2, he looks to God, he says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose can be withheld from you. Job understood this sovereignty. I love Proverbs 21, verse 1. Again, this is not on the screen, but just for your notes. And As we lead up to the elections of 2016, let this be a comfort to you. It's a comfort to me. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wants. Isn't that awesome? That's very comforting to me. It does, it, it, what that means is it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in the Kremlin. It doesn't matter who's, who's the Prime Minister of England. It doesn't matter who's my boss at work. Because the king's heart, my boss's heart, the president's heart, the prime minister's heart are like channels of water, like, just like the Lord steers rivers so he turns a man's heart wherever he wishes. Psalm 115, verse 3, again, the psalmist understood this concept. 
God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases, simply put. Now, Scripture also talks, though, about the sovereignty of God and how it interacts with our free will. And this is important as we step out, as we unfold the map. God, what are you asking me to do? So this, this series that we're into, as we move on here, you know, this can affect you in several different places. For some of you, maybe you're sitting outside Christian faith. You're here, you're, you come, you've never really trusted Christ as your Lord, but you come because there's something drawing you. And maybe over the next three weeks, you'll take a step to follow Christ, to become a Christ follower, a worshiper of the Lord. Maybe you're a college student and you're looking at what the next step is as you leave college. Maybe high school student getting ready to graduate. Maybe you're a frustrated businessman or businesswoman and you're, you're contemplating a career change. Maybe you're a successful businessman, businesswoman nearing the end of your career thinking, what will the next, maybe the last phase of my life bring? Maybe you're an engaged couple that's about to set out on a life together thinking, what will we do with our lives in honor of God. Well, I want to give you comfort to know that God's will is working in you. It's working alongside your free will. Psalm 32, 8 here, that's up on the screen, says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God at work in your life. For any of us that grew up in church or Sunday school, we probably early on heard this proverb, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord and with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And I love that phrase. Underline that last phrase. And he shall direct your paths. Do you believe that? Is your God sovereign enough, big enough to actually work that way in your life? I love Proverbs 16, verse 9, too, the same way. Listen, I plan my way. I I make a plan. I lay it out. I was going to go from Philadelphia to San Diego, 2,790 miles. 8,000 miles later, God directed my steps in paths. I was going to work in power plants the rest of my life and hopefully retire early enough to do ministry full-time in my retirement. And at age 39, God said, I need you full-time in ministry. I planned my ways, but God directed my steps. And then one of my favorite, most poetic passages regarding God's working things out in your life. This, this should encourage you. I've shared it with you many times over the years. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship. The, the word there is poemia. Literally, it's, it's the, in, from the Greek, it's where we would get the word poem, If you look at some translations, they'll say of this verse, we are his artwork, we are his poem, we are his story, his painting, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Spun your life out into existence, knowing exactly the course that it would take and how it would interact and what it would accomplish And that there were these beautiful works that would be done in you and through you to the glory of Jesus Christ. Why? That you would walk in them. God's at work in your life. He's writing your life as a poem, a painting, a story. So let's look at the practical steps. Let's look at four ways that this 
journey takes shape, as I unfold the map and I step out into this journey, whatever's coming next for me, how does it shape up? And let's look at these four processes as they play out. First, it begins with a stirring in the heart. Now, great biblical background to this, if you're taking notes and you want to do some more reading, is to do a life study, a book study, in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an assistant to King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, about 450 years or so before the time of Christ. He was a cupbearer or or a governor, some translations. He was an assistant to the king of, of Persia in Babylon. And he he was a Jewish boy growing up. He was probably well-schooled, well-pedigreed. He was taken captive probably because of his schooling, his pedigree, his intelligence. And he's raised in Persia, in in Babylon. And he, he becomes successful. And now he has a very prominent position. And if you look at his life, the stirring of the heart, it plays out well in in his life. Almost all of these come into play in Nehemiah's life. Because going on back in Jerusalem, he would hear word. There would be a word spoken by a friend that would come and and say, things aren't well in Jerusalem. The wall remains in destruction. And things are not as God would intend in Jerusalem. And this begins to arrest Nehemiah's heart. And he gets unsettled. There's a stirring in his heart. He wants to do something to correct that. And it changes his course of history. And it changes the history of Jerusalem. So maybe it's a word spoken by a friend. Several times in my life, beginning very early, in in my teens, somebody came to me and said, Steve, you can teach. In one way or another, they, they, they explained to me that you can teach. One time it was my dad. I was trying to teach a friend water skiing one day. Successfully got him up at the end of the day. And on the way back home, my dad, it was just me and him in the car towing the boat back home, he said, you know, Steve, you did a really good job teaching your, your friend to, to ski today. I don't, I don't know if many people would have... I didn't think he was ever going to get up, but you, you helped him get up. You showed him how. And when you jumped in the river and showed him how to hold his skis and all, that really helped him. I got saved at age 23 and, and um, went to a home group, a Bible study. I came, went as a participant. And I would read ahead the, the text that we were reading, and I would study it on my own, and where I had opportunity, I would contribute to the discussion, and people there started sharing with me afterwards, you know what, Steve, I really appreciated what you shared during the study. It really helped me understand what the Bible was teaching there. And God opened that door for me. Maybe it's a book you read, a class you take, a visit you go on, a conference that you go to. I was talking to a young man this morning that just got back from a youth conference out in Colorado and young high school student just fired up to make a difference in his high school because of what God revealed to him at this conference. I think of those middle schoolers getting back this week and processing what God has done in their life. Maybe it's a person you meet. I can think of three people over the last several years that have just wrecked my life (laughs) in a good way. In other words, after the meeting with them, I was a different person than before. I think of Mike Rizel, the the potter of Potter's Ministry, and Mike's become a friend of mine, and, and, and Mike's invited me to travel at different places around the world where he's ministering, and, and it's wrecked me, things that I've seen. 
We have a young man down in Guatemala today serving with Mike. And I look at his life, and it's wrecked in a good way. I think of Oscar Maru, who you're going to get to meet in the fall when he comes here for Compassion Weekend. And Oscar, the pastor of Nairobi Chapel, I had the privilege of sitting at Bob Gaglione's house one afternoon a couple months ago and spent two or three hours with Oscar and I still process things that he said and, 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 and my heart stirred by things that he said that, that I'm still not sure how they're going to play out in my life. And then just this past May, I got to travel to, to the Netherlands with Brother uh, Zach Koshi from church here and I met Lazarus Yengezar, who's the head of 222 Ministries. Lazarus grew up as a, as a boy in Persia and Iran and um, he serves the, the persecuted church in Iran. And I sat with Lazarus and I watched him ministering to pastors, some of which go back into Iran, some that are now exiles in Europe pastoring Iranian communities. And um, my life was changed, wrecked, still processing what that stirring means in my heart. And then there's the coincidence We know if you believe in a God with a sovereign will, there is no such thing as a coincidence. A chance event. I went to a conference one time down at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And I had no business being at this conference. The reason I had no business being at that conference is because my home and my marriage was a disaster. Had one of the the darkest encounters in my marriage that I, that I ever had the, the, the morning that I left to get on a plane and go to Fort Lauderdale. And I sat at a table down there. I couldn't concentrate on the conference. I sat at the table thinking about what was going on in my marriage. And all I wanted to be was alone. And somebody violated my space. <laughs> I'm thinking, really? You're really going to sit there? <laughs> And you really want to have a conversation. Can't you see? Doesn't my body language say go away? And there was a woman that sat down there, and she was the, the wife of a pastor from a church called Horizon Christian Fellowship, which was actually the church that I got saved and discipled in out in San Diego. And here we are now on the other side of the country. What a coincidence. And through the Holy Spirit, she pulled things out of me and helped me see things that I needed to go home and correct. She pointed out things to me that I was violating in God's moral will. And that's my, 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 why my life was a mess, why my marriage was on the rocks at that time. And by that chance event, that stirring in my heart, God said, you need to go back and you need to fix those things and you need to start honoring your wife the way my word says to honor her and put this back together in accordance with my will. All because of a chance event. So once our heart's stirred, whatever that stirring is, now now we need to play it out a little bit further. And here's where we need to seek the Lord's counsel. Seek wisdom. The book of James, in the early part of the book of James, it talks about, James says, listen, you don't have because you don't ask. And the context of what he's referring to is wisdom from on high, God's counsel. So we need to read, examine, meditate God's word. 
Does your plan fit within the moral will? That chance encounter that I had in Fort Lauderdale, it was very clear that I was outside God's moral will regarding the way I was treating my wife. If you're contemplating marriage right now, very clearly, God's moral will says, as a Christian, you need to marry a spirit-filled Christian, somebody who has a same heart. If you're contemplating marrying somebody that's not, then the answer is no. These are very simple decisions. Now, you have a free will. Do what you want. <laughs> you're not going to thwart God. But the consequences could be extreme. Does it line up with God's word? Are we reading, examining, meditating on his word? Are we praying? Are we fasting? Are we repenting? In other words, this helps us get the noise down in our lives to the place where God's voice gets above it. It only comes through prayer, fasting, and then that revealing things in our life that we need to repent of. Bad habits, lack of spiritual discipline. Then I come back and I repeat that cycle. Prayer, fast, repent, repeat. Now I begin to hear God's voice more clearly. I need to go out and I need to ask wise counsel. I need to seek. Listen, this is not your best friend, unless that best friend is a spirit-filled Christian. This is not your peer group. They're going to give you bad advice, unless they are spirit-filled Christians. They're going to give you worldly advice, popular advice, things you want to hear. That's not what you need. You need godly advice. Spirit-filled Christian. What do I mean by that? Somebody who's in church, in their Bible, on their knees, hearing from God, humble, telling you things you don't want to hear. Don't marry that person. (laughs) Who wants to tell you that? Who? Somebody that loves you. That's who. Somebody who loves God's word. And then we need to wait. And I I rarely, and you can, I challenge you because I want to see it. I say this often, and if I'm wrong, show me. But I rarely, if ever, see God moving in haste. Oftentimes, as I read the Gospels, especially, what do they say to Jesus? Jesus, if you only would have been here sooner. That's not somebody that's moving too fast. That's somebody that the world says is moving too slow. Why weren't you here sooner? Where were you? This wouldn't have happened if you would have been here. Now, there's times to act. We'll talk about that more in the weeks ahead. But there's something to be said about sleeping on it, (laughs) waiting on it. Then the next part is testing waters. You know, I, I love the idea of pioneering, but unless you're getting in a rocket ship and going to the Mars, or getting in a submersible and going to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, there's not a whole lot of pioneering left. Now listen, every day is a new day in God. His mercy's new every morning. There's enough newness for us. But my point in this is, is that probably there's somebody that has gone before you that you can glean from. And I encourage you to seek them out. A mentor, somebody that you respect that's done what you're considering to do. Maybe they've done something similar ahead of you. And the reason most of us don't have mentors is we simply are afraid to ask. Oh, that person's too busy. They would never have the time for me. You'd be surprised. They'd probably be... Blown, they'd probably blow their mind that you would have any interest in them at all. They would make time for you if you're flexible. You can be mentored from afar. You can, you know, you can read biographies. You can 
Call up TED Talks. You can go to conferences. You can be mentored from afar, but get somebody that's gone before you. There's the idea of facilitators, people that can help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. If I was going to take a group of high school kids and go on a wilderness canoe trip in Canada, the first thing I'd do is I'd call a wilderness canoe trip outfitter in Canada and say, hey, could you put, help us put together a trip? I have no idea where I'm going and I have no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. Well, there's those types of people in in life that can help you with spiritual adventures. There are life coaches, there are counselors, there are workshops, there's courses that you can take. Seek the help, especially for major life decisions. And then there's the idea of test driving. Trying it out. I think of the small group. I told you that story of teaching in small groups. You know, first I went and I shared, and then eventually somebody said, hey, Steve, would you teach a small group? Small groups are great places for you to be involved, to exercise your gifts, whether it's hospitality or helps or teaching or administration, whether it's a small group in homes or a ministry group here within the church, but get into small groups. If you're not in a small group, you're not in the church. And then there's the idea of scouting trips, especially when you're looking at a career change or a life change or maybe a call into missions. I think of Mary Ellen Bettini, our missionary to Nepal, for 15 years, and it all started with a two-week trip. First she went to England, then she went to Nepal, then she went back to Nepal, then she went to Nepal and she never came home. (laughs) Scouting trips. Be careful. (laughs) Be careful. And then finally it comes to the, the final step. And what it all boils down to is at some point we need to take a step of faith. The moment of truth. And I think to really understand this is the best life to weigh it against, to measure it up against is the life of Abraham. And if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, you know that there's 12 chapters. You know, ne- next to David and Christ himself, there's, there's not anybody that gets this much attention in Scripture. 12 chapters to tell Abraham's story in Genesis. But Hebrews boils it down in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, to one verse. And here it is. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place which he would receive an inheritance, and then underline this in bold, bold, bold ink, and he went out where? Not knowing where he was going. That's what makes it a quest. That's what makes it worthwhile. The first verse in that chapter explains what that faith is all about. It's it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It's so sure and certain that a man can stake his life in it a thousand times. That's confidence. Just as with Abraham, I think of all the great quests that at one point in time started with the bold decision to take one step of faith. 
I don't know about you, but my heart explodes every Wednesday night as I see people step into that pool of baptism. Bold steps of faith. Think of that day you stepped into a home for the first time in a small group. That's where my faith journey started. Maybe it's that first time you stepped onto a plane to leave for a missions trip. Maybe it's the first time you stepped onto the college campus that gave you the tools for life that you're living out now. For me, it was the day I stepped off a bus in boot camp and there was some guy yelling at me. (laughs) Maybe it's that day you stepped forward, pulled out a ring, got down on one knee and asked somebody to marry you. The question is, what's the next step here this morning? What's God calling you to do? And listen, I want to encourage you in in this. God's calling you based on his love. He's calling you based on his love. He's not calling you based on your qualifications. He will make you into what he calls you. He said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Some translations say, the Lord is with you, O mighty, valiant one. Read that story of Gideon in Judges. He was neither a warrior nor valiant at the time. He was like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, no, look at it. Look at all around. Oh, no, no. And that was his attitude when God says, The Lord is with you, oh, valiant warrior. See, God loved Gideon. And God called him into a calling of warrior. He said to Abraham, Abram at the time, I will make you a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was the story of Abraham? Old. His wife, old, barren, no descendants. But he says to him, I will make you the father of, uh, of a great nation. You, you will, uh, families of all the earth will be blessed because of you. Your descendants will be like this, the dust. Whoever can count the dust, that will be like on the earth. That will be the numbers of your descendants. But Sarah was old and barren. See, he called them into a promise because of his love for them and then redeems them. He said to Cephas, yeah, I'll call you Rocky. You're a fisherman, I'll make you a fisher of men. What is he saying to you this morning? What is he calling you to? Maybe the thought of taking that step is scary. Maybe it's not clear enough for you to take a step. So I just want to leave you with just two last scriptures here this morning as you ponder what the next step for you is. Proverbs 4.18 says that the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. I love the imagery in that verse. It's, it's very poetic to me. I, I have a lot of hobbies that take me out early in the morning, some before the sun rises. And, you know, to be out on the water or to be in the woods before the sun comes up where, you, where it's just very 
intimidating and, and even scary sometimes. I don't like the dark. But then as the sun comes up and the dawn breaks and things begin to get revealed, but then as the sun moves overhead, pretty soon everything is crystal clear. There's no more doubt. There's nothing more hidden in the shadows. Now, now it's revealed before you. What the psalmist is saying, what the, or the writer of Proverbs is saying there is that this is the way the Christian life is. This is the way a faith journey is, whether it's a step. Maybe you're sitting out there right now and going, I don't know if I like the things I hear about the Christian life. Actually, I kind of am more comforted by somebody that has that position than somebody says, I want to run into the Christian life because I know it'll be full of, of good things, promise, well-being, prosperity. No, don't come. If you think that's what it is, don't come. Because you're going to be sorely disappointed. If you think it's a life of unknown, if it's a quest, if it's full of uncertainty, come on. Come into the arms of the one who's working for your good no matter what the circumstances. Come on. Would you come? Would you take a step? Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5, it, it was given to me. My, my wife gave me this, this Bible when, a week after I got saved. And she highlighted that verse in there for me. I, I was a brand new Christian. I knew nothing about the Word of God. And that verse has become a life verse for me. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in, also in him, and he will do it. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. As the worship team comes back out this morning, I want to tell you a story about one of our earliest worship leaders as it relates to that verse. When we started the church, we had a guy by the name of Sam Negron. Matter of fact, Bob and I wouldn't have started on Sunday morning if Sam wouldn't have said, I'll go with you. I'll lead your worship. And Sam, back in the 70s and 80s, he was a very successful rock and roll musician, completely sold out to the world of rock and roll. He was so successful that up on Long Island, he used to have a band that would open for some guy named Billy Joel. Young people were saying, Who's that? People my age say, well, that's a big deal, open for Billy Joel. And in the midst of that success, which who knows where that would have gone for Sam, he got saved and then the Holy Spirit convicted him and he laid down everything of, to do with music in rock and roll. And I just remember him sharing this testimony that, you know, this is some 20 years later, he stood on a stage with us in the Barnstormers Community Theater in Ridley Park and later in Brookhaven and... Pastor Shem would eventually join him and they would lead worship together. And what Sam had laid down to delight himself in the Lord, God had given back to him the desires of his heart, the ability to lead not a crowd of screaming people worshiping some man, but a room full of worshipers acknowledging the God of the universe. That's a step worth taking. Would you take it this morning? If you've never taken it before, 
If you're walking with him, would you take the next step, whatever that might be? Would you stand with us as Kevin and the team lead us in the closing song?